Welcome to I Don't Hate This, the Avantist Guard podcast. She's a photographer, but she doesn't let that get her down. It's Nina Litoff. And the most unemployed, uninsured, interdisciplinary artist produced by a major university yet, it's me, Eric Wenzel. And the man behind the control panel working the knobs, it's the ASDF certified vocal talent of Andre Callow. Today is the first in a series of episodes we'll be putting together um, from audio we recorded over the past several months. We have a conversation about the last edition of the Summer Academy at the Centrum Paul Clay in Switzer, Switzer, Bletzer, Switzerland. Uh, it's <laughs> we experienced the wonder of Mauer Park in Berlin. Andre makes a prophetic prediction about Tanner Bagheera's next project. And instead of the Zurich edition of the roving European biennial known as Manifesta, we discussed Manifest Destiny. Hilarity ensues. And so, if we listen very carefully, you just might be able to hear what we're talking about low those many months ago in the past. Let's listen in. About the destruction of all humanity. Yeah. What's the diaphragm of the microphone? It's the metal part inside the microphone that moves back and forth and creates a change in air pressure, which translates into a difference in frequency and amplitude, which on the recording Boring. <laughs> is your voice. All right, so let's hear a little bit of that audio.
There's a dog running with no leash. trash container and a dog has found it. Yes. Wonderful. I said it may be.
So what you've just overheard is uh, the Bear Pit Karaoke. I'm going to throw this away. Where uh, people sit like the ancient Greeks amphitheater style on the side of a hill. And uh, amateur gets up and sings karaoke and everyone has a good time. All right, so. Uh, Thank you for that beautiful soundscape. Yeah. Any questions? <laughs> I only have questions. When okay. did you become a dog person? Every one of your correspondences was about dogs. You went to that opening and had a dog. There weren't uh, there weren't many roaming cats in Berlin. It's unlike every other city. Hmm. Lots of other cities worldwide of cats everywhere well yeah but not not hanging out at the uh uh you know free love carnival that takes place in mauer park this is a uh, testament to teutonic efficiency they yeah. look after their cats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometimes they have like elaborate platforms that allow the cats to come and go freely via a series of interlocking wooden planks called cat elevators and was the other voice that we heard on the recording our foreign correspondent, Olivia? Yes. From the Berlin Kunstminute. <laughs> yes. So are you about to give us a Berlin Kunststunde? Yes. <laughs> um, so I record a lot of ambient noises. And I... You record all the time or you recorded? I recorded. You brought a special rig with you. I did, a Tascam. A DR-07 Mark II. Um, I didn't record any conversations because it seemed weird that once one got going to then to be like, hey, let's talk about this. You know, we could play a couple other samples of things. Oh, I think this is getting ready for takeoff. <laughs> Is this Lufthansa? Air Berlin. They've got a hub out of Chicago. Yes, I also flew on Air Berlin. 
Oh, this is when all the alarms were going. <laughs> we have flatlined. Somewhere around here, I got some more uh, walking on gravel. So this is when I was interviewing a itinerant farmer <laughs> who who doesn't have dental insurance, but you were interviewing his feet. Yeah, uh, we're walking on the way to his crops. Really? No. <laughs> Where are you walking to in this segment? I'm walking on some gravel by the Centrum Pau Clay. To the bus for the very last time to go to the party. After the opening ceremony of the Summer Academy at the Centrum Pau Clay in Bern, Switzerland. How was it? It was good. I can't find the recording I made of all the speeches. <laughs> But I'm told it's available online. Uh, Thomas, everything is these days. Thomas Hirshhorn was the speaker, or the, the curator who invited uh, Tanya Bergera, a colleague of ours and former professor. Um, someone else, and then a woman that works for Dia, and the photo of her was like, it looked like an engagement photo. Like she was smiling, wearing a pretty dress in a sunlit gallery full of all gray Gerhard Richter paintings on glass. <laughs> and I was just like... What the fuck? Why is that the picture of you? I want to go take like an engagement shoot. Like there was someone who took um, like an engagement shoot with her new job offer. It was like a thing that was like, congratulations, you've been selected to work at this thing. And she it was took, at the beach. Yeah. Well, she was all over. It was like a picture of them in bed. Wait, what the fuck? Together. What? Someone got a job and took a yeah, engagement she took photo? Engagement photos with her job offer. <laughs> That's weird. Well, I want to do that with art now. So, Eric, you were in Switzerland and Germany. Yes. Um, let's see who these people were. I'm so jealous. It like, makes my heart hurt uh, to hear it. It makes me sad that I was only there a short while. We were there a very short while. A week, even. Speakers. I think I'm going to guess her. Yasmiel Raymond. Let's see if I can find the photo. Oh boy, do I have the photo. That's a cool photo. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems kind of ridiculous where it's like if you if you ever had any inkling that curators ever had anything to do with touching or making art, then clearly all questions have been answered. The answer is no. <laughs> that looks very fascist. That's yeah. so Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to Instagram that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh you know, they say, like, first impressions uh, are the worst. Or wait, no, what? First impressions are wait, very important. Wait, so are those Gerhard Richter? Is, is that Yeah, those are those glass. They're giant-ass sheets of glass painted gray from behind, so like a Richter. No... That's my guess. That's the only artist I could think of. There's, there's no, all those details are reflections. Yes. They're, they're yeah, it's like, a, it's like a gray mirror. So it's uniform on the back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that really didn't have anything to do with anything except that was the photo they showed when they introduced her and I was, everyone like was like, like spit take. <laughs> I'm sure she's wonderful. I'm sure. That wasn't a spit take. That was like a scoff. 
do they hand out seltzer to people yeah. <laughs> so that they can do a spit take? They're like, coming up next. All right, everyone have your drink. <laughs> Wait, but before you finish that sentence, let me have a drink of my seltzer. No, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of a ridiculous photo, I think. Like, it's a, it's like, you know how usually you have like a nice sort of headshot you send when you're a speaker or something? And this is on a whole next level shit where they're like, no, we're going to get you in this giant 20 foot hall. She looks like she should be holding a lightsaber. Yeah. I mean, that's a great photograph, though. Not like a great. It's like aesthetically a very interesting photograph. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. It says a lot about power. Yes. It's a, yeah. But the power of art. No. No. The power one wields over art. Yes. The power of money over art. Mm hmm. Art power. Yes. Yeah. Like our favorite book. Yeah. Um, so I, I took some photos, but they're kind of blurry. Oh, because so what happened was... <laughs> Classic interdisciplinary artist. No, it was... Jack it was... of all trades, master of none. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm barely even a podcaster, so... <laughs> uh, what happened was, usually... The uh, opening event, they... Well, first of all, everything's fucking confusing because they're, like, joining us at 14 o'clock. <laughs> stupid Americans don't Yeah. Know. And then it's also like, well, that's really late. I got plenty of time. And then you're like, wait, no, that's only five. What is it? 17 no. o'clock is five? 17 o'clock is, is eight. And I... Yeah, yeah so seven... They're, like, coming at 17 o'clock. They learned that shit from the Americans, you know. Yeah. From, yeah. That's, like, leftover from the Marshall Plan. Right. Americans left that shit behind for Europe. Yeah, so You're that's why we didn't welcome. have any left. That's why we didn't have any left for us to use. I don't know. Okay, it's whatever. So I'm sorry. You just have to change your phone to say that, and then when you look at it, it will tell you. Yeah, but then I don't, I still don't know like, like emotionally what time it is. <laughs> like, it takes this doesn't me... feel like seventeen o'clock. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it takes it takes me only like two or three days to get on it. Though. Okay, well, this was the third day I was there. All right, so. there you go. Fair enough. I'll give you a pass. Uh, and then I was also like, well, surely they don't mean this, the thing's actually beginning at five because there's usually like an aperitif or something. It just seems early for the events to start at five. And I got there and they were like, oh, no, go in this room. Nothing anywhere starts before nine o'clock. Yeah. So anyway, we got there and they were I mean, I didn't miss anything because they were having like the opening opening remarks. But it was in a separate room, like a cry room or an overflow room or like when a vomitorium. Yeah, or like when uh, the Cavaliers are playing in San Francisco, but all their fans are in the parking lot outside of their stadium watching on a big screen. So uh, tailgate. So that was like and us. And then tailgate. for a moment, yeah, so then someone speaks and there's all this audience clapping and it sounded super like, someone even went like, you know, like whistling. And they cut and it looks like there's no one in the theater. And then I was like, Oh my God, is this art? Is it like, we're just, wa- <laughs> they're performing it live in the theater, but all of the guests are in this cry room, this overflow. Um, but it turned out it was really in the, in that room. And they were just like, I don't know why they were like, it's five Oh five. You can't go in um, how, because how you were late because it said on the thing starts at 14 o'clock and you're like, I don't know how often are you at a thing and you're like, Oh my God, is this art? And then it's not art. <laughs> a lot. A lot. I mean, the only artist that ever got me was Heimo Zobernig has a bench at the Art Institute. Uh-huh. And I was like, there's no way this is art. And my sister's like, is that art? And I'm like, no, it's way too dirty to be art. And then I was like, it's by the photo gallery. This has to be uh, packing you, material or something. And you know what? 
It was, it was art. art. <laughs> also, he got me. Yeah, and then cut to like how I don't even know. Four years later, after I met you, I was I was on Reddit. Someone was like, "I got yelled at for sitting on this art, quote unquote," and he like made the front page about how stupid art was, and I was like, "That looks like the Art Institute." Then I posted a picture of it on Facebook, and I was like, "Who knows what this is?" And Eric knew because he had been fooled by it. It was it was the same. It was that same Zoberneck. Yeah. But you're not, you are allowed to sit on it. That's why it's so dirty and shit is because it's like white foam and cork. Security officers don't always get the memo. Yeah. I wonder if you could get fired for not letting someone sit on art. I want to make a piece where that's, no, it's fucked up. Because you can definitely get fired for someone's touching art that they're not supposed to. But what if it's the other way around and you go in there like, I want to talk to your supervisor. I wanted to stand on that Carl Andre, and they said no. What if the work is everyone who sees the thing gets fired? Whatever they're doing, <laughs> whatever their job is, wherever they live, they're just like, if you, oh, hey, it's like a sign. It says, if you can read this, you're fired. <laughs> oh, that's a thing, probably. It could be a Dia Beacon. It could be like, yeah. you know, you stand on a platform of, of like little metal rectangles made by carl andre and then you read the it's you know. not 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 a lot of people know this but that phrase is written on the bottom of every one of those tiles in the carl andre half of this is air um that seems a little bit too uh taking too much of a stance for something at the beacon you know what i mean they're high concept but they're not like we're not going to talk about economics or... they're they're low morals yeah well no they're high morals which is why they're not talking about morals they're They're, highfalutin they're too moral to be good look there's nothing more high moral than the morality of a square yeah or occasionally a diamond but that's just a square rotated like the the catholic church in the 21st century looks like dia beacon no what no the catholic church is all ornate and fucking unnecessary and decorative and shit there's nothing more masculine than a square and the Catholic Church is is feminine because it's the Virgin Mary. Um. It's all about chalices and cups and <laughs> and entrances and, um. and exits and and chapels and, and buildings that have the vast empty. It's about the apps and the naves. Yeah, it's all about naves. <laughs> all about that nave. About that nave. No apps. Wait, the, but a nave is like a cock. Like a scurvy nave is like you got, Scur- you've got scabies. Nave. No, but it's not. It's not spelled the same. A nave, like a you rascally nave, is spelled with a K. Yeah, but isn't that also how a nave in the church? No, spelled? it's N A V E. Oh, but I mean, also an apse is not an asp. I know that part, <laughs> but they're both into breasts. Yeah. And they're, they're also not something you download on your smartphone or order at TGI Fridays. <laughs> that to me is the saddest thing when like TGI Fridays is like, we've got to get on this smartphone craze. We're going to start calling appetizers apps. <laughs> There's an app for that. <laughs> and, and it's potato skins. <laughs> but it has in-app purchases, which is where you get the sour cream and bacon bits. <laughs> Um. Oh, I was gonna look online to see if they had the speech program. So anyway, that was very cool to attend that event and hang out with people. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Well, what? Where did you go first? Did you go to 
Germany first or Switzerland? Helvetica. Drink Coke. Period. Any questions? 21 o'clock. Party. (laughs) Party. Come, we make party. Um, (laughs) I flew into Zurich. No, this, this was... It was bittersweet because this is like... The last one they're doing, there was some talk of maybe developing it into a different thing, but this is most likely the last Summer Academy as it's been known. They're not doing the Summer Academy anymore? No. That's so sad. Yeah. But it's uh, possible it's being like merged with the Hochschule for Bildenda, probably. Kunst. <laughs> just uh, there's just put, art- the ku- put the word Kunst at the end and then they'll, it'll still be a thing. <laughs> Uh, there's a pretty good art university in Bern, so there's talks to make the Summer Academy part of that, have it be more long-term. Um, so Summer Academy, but not just during the summer. Yeah, or that you would, like, repeatedly return for, like, various times. If you could hear the face that Andre's making. I don't know what it is. Um, Stop being distracting. Wait, I want to know how Tanya is doing. She's good. No longer in her house arrest in Havana. Yeah, that's a while ago. Uh, she was very happy and excited to see me. Um, Humble brag. <laughs> she was. I Did you look? I've got. I've got to have some things that are happy in my life. And you being have lots happy of to things see that people. are happy in your life right now. Well, not Bob. He's always miserable unless he's eating. Sounds like me. You need a bigger apartment. Familiar. No, he's happy size wise. It's more like, well, no, he's like a goldfish and he's like, this apartment's bigger than our last one. I need to expand to fit in here. <laughs> he's a big fish in a small pond. What I what I found enjoyable is that for the longest time my dad's wife thought Bob was my roommate. <laughs> a human. A human named Bob. He's roommate. Like, he's quote about, unquote. I was asking about his roommate Bob. Grown um, man, 30-year-old man living with a man named Bob. I don't know. Hiding at the end of his bed. Attacking my feet. Knocking, <laughs> knocking stuff off of the shelves in the middle of the night. Did you give her the letter? No, that was given to her in... You oh, mean, she uh, got it already? Yeah, that was given to her during the, the event at the Havana Biennial. Did she say anything about it? I guess that's what I mean. Oh. Because that's the first time she's seen you since you were um, in school, right? I don't know. When was that? No, I see her on and off. Started in another residency we were both in in Austria in 2012. Is there any chance that after Raul Castro dies that she goes back to Cuba and becomes president of the country? <laughs> That'd be so cool. You know, actually knowing Tanya, I feel like she's already formed a political party as an artwork and... Uh, it's not off the table. It's not off the table that she would, what, take over a country as an artwork? <laughs> Form a government as Run an artwork? Run the country. It's, it's the greatest artwork of all. Yeah. Well, it's last time somebody tried to do that, that didn't turn out great. What, Enver Hoxha? I was thinking Adolf Hitler. Oh, yeah, but was, there's that, been other. That was an easy joke. That was. Yeah, that's what I was trying. I'm I was... gonna Eleanor on you right now and be like, "No, that was not a good joke." Uh, yeah. What other? This what Donald Trump is. You were saying that uh, the fellow from um, uh, Albania, mm-hmm. that he was running the country as an artwork. 
I don't know that you've ever spoken on this program about uh, Albania and, and Verhoeksha and uh, the. Uh, I did last spoken, year when I was talking yeah. about the Albanian pavilion at you the. You talked Venice about Bimai. Albania a lot then. Yeah, but not about the idea. Um, I mean, I think it was an artwork in the way that any dictators. I mean, look, look at Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King. He ran France as an artwork, hmm. as a kind of Rococo work. Yeah. Ooh. Make America Rococo again. Although I think it was the Barack. <laughs> Make America Barack again. <laughs> <laughs> um, any any absolute ruler that imposes their vision for something, I mean, I approve this message. <laughs> they're sort of making it art, I think. Well, maybe it's the observation of that that's the art. Don't you need like smarty pants like us to be like, oh, that's basically functioning as art. Well, it's not in the case of Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, where he was literally like, make all of this art. <laughs> yeah, but there's more gold. There's art like put more gold on it, and then there's art like Tanya Bergera, right? Which is like, damn, take less gold, put, give gold social justice. I don't know. <laughs> is there a serious difference? Yeah, no one talks about social rights justice. for gold <laughs> between what Tanya is doing and what Shay did. I don't know enough about Shay. When he was in Bolivia, for example. Uh-huh. Living in the jungle, fighting with the revolutionaries, trying to get a a people's government for mm-hmm. Bolivia, you know, engaging in direct action. Mhm undermining the authority of the local government i mean this is this is the yeah, same but, as what performance think, artists do not, yeah but i think performance artists have in mind a sort of doing that as a gesture that it would be nice if something affected change but it's more so I the difference is the that... aesthetic of the action of doing something so performance art is like if pl- politics didn't work Politics no, doesn't politics work. doesn't work, and I would <laughs> argue that uh, that's Tanya's point: is that it actually should. She's not. She might be doing it as a gesture or an aesthetic action, but it's not to end there. The whole point is that it really should be doing what it's supposed to do. So it's supposed to spur some kind of social action by a political force. The, yeah, but it's always like, spo- like a thing that stands in for the the actual political action. Yeah. No, but she's. But I think, I think she's trying. To the, the, do the actual thing, though. She did the actual thing in Havana when she did the piece where she invited people up to speak into the microphone yeah. about their feelings about the the administration. Yeah. Right? The the Tatlin's piece. Whisper. Right. The with the, the the dove and the fellow with the the assault rifle. And the podium. Right. In uh, two thousand nine in uh, April in Havana. And that's what she was trying to do when, when she was putting her the house arrest. Right. Like, it was once again, again for real. giving people, I so just, this is the real thing. Mm-hmm. It is I definitely not... think it is the real thing, and that's why I think she's a good artist as opposed to bad performance artists. But I think that, um, I don't know. There's something in it that's less, they're, they're just, ha- I feel like what makes something a performance versus just a protest or something well the tea party right like we have these horrible ideas of the tea party back in the 2010 era right but in the 18th century the tea party was an actual 
group of people going out and doing a work of art that ended up creating revolution. I don't know. But, Not, the, yeah, but it wasn't... But that's, like, so propagandistic. And also they dressed up like Indians while they but were the... doing it, which is problematic. No, it's not. It was this, what? It was pre-America days. Like, I mean, you can't judge it by today. And you're like, sure. oh, they should have known 200 years later. Like, I'm just saying. It if anything, make it any better. If anything, back then, like, taking on the aesthetics of the Native Americans, like, legitimized the claim of the Native Americans to the land they lived in. Because no, here are these people, because... before they even had a country, were saying, no, you know, we they... are the same. no. That's bullshit, Andre. That's it's a bunch of white men saying that they are that they like claim to this land just as legitimately as these people that it was stolen from. One of the things that happened to people in the United States during the conquest, the destruction of the lives of the people who were in the Native American tribes in the United States was inevitably the assimilation into those cultures. This is the story of every Western, every like narrative about the American frontier is that in attempting to murder and destroy, you know, the people who were here when the white men arrived, inevitably they ended up becoming identical. No, that's ridiculous. This is every John Ford film. I'm this not is every the, book that, about the American West. It's like I know. you attempt it's to... It's all bullshit. Like, it's it's all this fantasy about manifest destiny and about this, like, wild frontier that needs to be tamed. It's, like, analogous to colonialism. But it... it As what I'm the saying is that narrative the... is written by people who want to uphold that that idea idea of like american spirit or something but if there is a fantasy and, like, of, of transformation it's, it's under that literally has an indian on the package it's under mind it's undone by the reality of the people who actually had to go out and kill these these people these human beings these mothers and fathers and children the people who had to go out and and cut these throats in the night they lived on the plane and they lived under the same sky, and they ate the same animals, and they... Yeah, but who invited them to come there? Well, no, no. Their presence was an affront. It was a destruction. It was a, a horrifying... Right. So I don't understand your point. All, all I, I just want to hear about Eric's trip to Germany. I don't know what you're talking about, and this is our podcast. <laughs> so don't, don't bring your colonialism over here is what I mean. I'm not sure really uh, what. <laughs> I assume there's a conversation in there somewhere. I don't know. Well, I feel like we can't just leave this hanging. What I'm saying is that in attempting to destroy the people who lived here before the white people got here, they always ended up themselves being transformed in a certain way into the people that they were attempting to murder. And this is what happened over and over again throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. I kind of understand what you mean, but the problem with that is that that has been idealized and romanticized. Obviously, you know, it's definitely a fantasy that is attempting to, like, undo the murder. Right. Sure. I know that we're on the same... I know that you don't believe that, like, Manifest Destiny should be, like, What What I'm saying is that it was impossible to actually 
eradicate these people. Because in attempting I, to eradicate them, that that yeah, thing, but then they just they God, just I think they were pretty it. effectively eradicated yeah, though. Exactly. But no, everything in American culture is is formed in every way. No, by everything the, in American culture is formed by a white person's bastardized version of what that was. Yes. Because they find it romantic, yes. even though they destroyed it. But that's what imperialism and colonialism are. It's right. like you can't create, you can't actually destroy so, the thing without creating a synthesis. What? But it's a little different. No, like you have the like, way the, it's, it's the conquistadors it. it's invaded. Like... And this... You have two different ways of invasion, though. You have like the conquistador style that's all about synthesis, where it's like taking on uh, the conquered peoples as your wife and integrating your religion into theirs and then you have the other kind that's more of the like elimination where maybe in the end in an existential way well yes you've sort of adapted those things but it's always been about separation and the other but that that separation was always a fantasy it was never possible well yeah because the net result in the end is absorption and destruction there was whichever side wins right and i guess i don't mean absorptions yeah as much as like crushing (laughs) destruction and you said that and the destruction was total but the the thing that came in to destroy was also completely changed yeah but you say that in a way that sounds romantic it's not romantic it's horrifying but i don't what are you talking about though like what is your point like why did you start talking about this it's impossible (laughs) to actually win if your goal is is to destroy and take over it's impossible. No, no one has ever done it, and you inevitably end up with a thing that is halfway between the two. No, because they didn't destroy those people because they didn't... They destroyed them because they wanted what they had. So yeah. they wanted to absorb it because they wanted what they had, but they just didn't believe that those people were worthy of having what they created. So it's not the same as, like... I have tried to think of another kind of destruction, like... European Jewry where they found the actual practices to be disgusting. Instead, this was more like a, it's much more than appropriation, but it's like this idea that native peoples of America were like better than white people, but obviously the white people thought that they were better like cosmically. Do you know what I mean? Like they, that there's this like the pure, that idea of like, the, the purity of the of what i'm saying is that the the hegelian fantasy of the the success or the victory of some kind of stronger culture is an illusion it never happened i don't think you understand what i'm saying is that they didn't eradicate that culture because they found it to be abhorrent they eradicated it because they wanted the power and material wealth and land wealth that those people had. And they also dehumanized the people who were they right. were destroying. But they, they dehumanized the people, but they romanticized the culture. So it's not some kind of like strange surprise that they then absorbed part of the culture into their own ethos because they wanted to all along. They just didn't value the actual human beings or their way of life. They admired their culture, but not their way of life. Whereas there's many other kinds of genocides in which they abhor their culture. And want to eradicate them because they think there's some kind of like 
you know, scourge on the earth or something. And not because they just want to absorb the things that they have, like materially. I bring it up because this is exactly what Tanya is doing. She's not even a little bit. I don't know. She is attempting to replace something with something else entirely. And I'm saying that it's impossible. Replace what with what else? She's attempting to replace the government of Cuba with something that reflects the will of the people without allowing any remnants of the former revolutionary government to survive. And I don't think that it's possible and that inevitably what will be replaced when the thing, the transformation occurs, it will have as much of the original thing as the new thing. I don't know if she's ever made that direct statement that she's completely replacing it. I think she's trying to stop things that are in all totalitarian governments that have nothing to do because I mean that's the thing about communism right that it's supposed to be the will of the people and that it's supposed to be equal and egalitarian but the problem with Cuba is that it has features of so many totalitarian governments and that there's no freedom of speech or freedom of the press or all these things I mean many communist countries have ended up in that but that's not unique to communism or to even that government or even that country there's like so many countries around the world and maybe that's why what she's doing is not just a political action in that country but it's art because it's more about universal states of being in oppression whereas if you if her art was just changing the government of cuba only it wouldn't necessarily be good art i i bring it up because so much of performance art seems to be concerned with creating a change and I wonder, like, what is the responsibility of the individual artist when that change seems to be imminent, and as it seems to be now? What should one do? I mean, do? this is why I think the things that Tanya does are really interesting and important, but I never could make work like that because I don't feel capable of, of moving people to action on something. Well, I think most people couldn't. It's terrifying, right? But yeah. I think that she, the way that she framed it in your interview is that like that's the only kind of art that people should make because other kinds of art are mm-hmm. a little bit played out. And didn't it seem kind of silly when she brought it up in 2009? Like she would talk about these ideas about like, well, what we should do is change the world with our art. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, all right, Tanya, whatever. And here we are. And that's it for today. You can always reach us on social medias, the Instagrams and the Twitters is at I don't hate this. You can also check out our website, I don't hate this, which is I don't H A T. Fuck. Uh, it's basically I don't hate this, but it's dot I S. Uh, so you don't have so it's just all a thing, and then. I don't hate that is. Um, and like I said, uh, you can always get us on the Twitters and the Instagrammers uh, with the handle at I don't hate this. So uh, we hope to hear from you, listen on you, put stuff in your ears again. Thanks for listening. And remember, after all, you're my wonder wall. And every hour, you're my wonder mower. Bye. Bye.